Hey, I'm Amy Souter, your host for the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. We're delivering fresh takes on living a healthy lifestyle full of fresh fruits and vegetables and the ins and outs of the business world that make that possible. In this episode, I chat with Katie Sewell, Chief Commercial Officer of Bowery Farming based in New York City. Katie dives deep into where high-tech indoor farming is headed and what it means for retailers and shoppers. An indoor vertical hydroponic farm company, Bowery is expanding locations, expanding varieties of produce and categories of produce, getting into fruit. We talk about how the company expands access while balancing it with a desire for premium experiences, the future strategies, where the CEA Food Safety Coalition is headed, and how all of this fits into what Gen Z and millennial shoppers and eaters want. This goes beyond Bowery and into the CEA subsection of the produce industry as a whole. So I find it fascinating. Now let's hear the conversation as we really get into it. Hey, this is Amy Souter, the editor of Produce Market Guide PMG magazine and the retail and education editor of The Packer. And we have today with us on the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, Katie Sewell, Chief Commercial Officer of Bowery Farming based in New York City. Welcome. Hey, Amy. It's great to be here. So, yeah, tell me uh, a little bit about what's going on with Bowery Farming. I've been hearing, I mean, as a CEA or Controlled Environment Agriculture uh, type of operation, you... um, I'm always hearing about expansions, 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 but I want to know what's what's happening uh, with your with your company and the latest news. And if it's okay, maybe I'll take a step back and just talk a little bit about Bowery, and then I can talk about the exciting expansion plans we have in place. But Bowery was founded in 2015, and we are an indoor vertical farming company. So if you look at controlled environment agriculture broadly, you essentially have two types of farming or or grow systems uh, that encompass that. And one is greenhouses and uh, the more technologically advanced greenhouses that have more of a controlled environment would fall under that bucket. And then the second bucket is indoor vertical farming. Hey, taking a short break from our chat with Katie to tell you about Produce EDU, where you can take our free professional training courses geared toward produce retail buyers and growers alike. We just launched Merchandising 101, taught by two award-winning produce merchandisers. And Produce Buying Fundamentals is our first retail-focused course. All you do is go to produceedu.com and sign up to take a course, which you can pause mid-lesson and return to if you need, because, hey, we know you've got busy days. Once you get past the quiz after the lessons and you earn your certificate, which you can print out and put on your wall or hand to your boss to ask for a raise, you can share it on social media too. Also, speaking of merchandising expertise, have you joined our Seasonal Produce Artist Award series? All you do is email us six to 10 photos of your best in-store fall displays, or if you missed that deadline, then winter displays, and send your large-sized photos to artists at producemarketguide.com. 
and tell us your name, job title, company, or store, and location. Let's get back to the chat with Katie. And within that, you have hydroponics, which Bowery is doing. You have aeroponics and you have aquaponics. And at Bowery, with the hydroponics, we are growing in a completely controlled environment. So think a refurbished warehouse that's located close to the communities and the cities we serve. And we are growing our, our crops from floor to ceiling stacking them high and we use led lighting to mimic the spectrum of the sun so a completely controlled environment and our goal really is to help transform the food system the fresh food system uh, with our operating system and and the design of our farms and if you look at our, our operating system, we affectionately call it the Bowery operating system. And it has two main functions that it plays. One is it is kind of the brains of the operations. We're fully vertically integrated. So we do seeding, we do germination, we do growing, we do processing, and then we pack and then ship to customers with complete transparency in the process. But because we're growing vertically, we are growing with density. And the Bowery operating system manages the entire workflow of the farm and tells our modern farmer which task they should do when to maximize production and freshness uh, of the product that we're distributing to customers. So playing a really important role there. And then the second thing that the operating system is doing is it's controlling all of the inputs to the plant growth and health. So we have integrated uh, sensors, uh, vision systems, automation, and technology that give the plants exactly what they need when they need it. And we think there's some fantastic value in this. And I think one is efficiency of resources, right? If you take a look at traditional agriculture, it's one of the biggest consumers of natural resources. It uses about 70%, for instance, it uses about 70% of the world's fresh water supply. Well, with Bowery, we are um, giving the plants exactly what they need when they need that. And the results of that is from a water perspective, we're using about 70% less water than traditional, sorry, 90% less water than traditional agriculture uh, in our growing process. So it's a highly efficient process that's growing a lot of product all at the same time. And then we have these fantastic variables that we can play with um, to drive yield, to drive quality, to drive flavor. One of the things we're finding out is light intensity and light duration actually has a profound impact on the flavor profile we're creating at Bowery. So uh, it's, it's an efficient process. It has a lighter sustainability footprint in terms of water usage, uh, in terms of land usage, again, because we're taking non-arable land and converting it into arable land. We get land savings that way, but we're also highly productive on the same square foot of land. And it's in one part because our growth cycles are faster. Our lettuces are about a, a 25, 30 day growth cycle. So we're getting more growth cycles out of a year than traditional farming would. And we're growing up and not out. So all of that means that we're about a hundred times more productive on the same square foot of land. Uh, so there's great land savings there. And I think the last thing I would just call out is because we're growing close to the point of consumption, we're reducing food miles and we're getting from harvest to shelf within about 48, 72 hours. 
um, this pesticide-free, fresh, incredibly tasty produce. So that's the value proposition at Bowery and what we're doing. And as you mentioned at the beginning, we're, we're headquartered in, in New York, but we are scaling our farm network very quickly. So we have a commercial farm. We have three commercial farms up and running now, one in Kearney, New Jersey, that services the tri-state area, one out of Nottingham, Maryland, very close to Baltimore. And then our third farm out of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, just came online. We have plans to open up um, additional farms in Texas, Arlington, Texas, Locust Grove, Georgia, early next year. And uh, I would say by 2024, 2025, we will have very much a national footprint. Wow. So why did you choose those uh, Texas and Georgia, those particular areas? Are they, are those near some population centers, some dense, densely populated areas? I mean, that's usually the idea, right? That is uh, to go after uh, densely populated areas, as you said. And that's one of the reasons why we started operations in the Northeast, Mm. moved to the Mid-Atlantic and then Bethlehem uh, because of the density of population, the great network, quite frankly, of retailers that are operating in that space. And we're seeing a very similar profile uh, in the Texas market and the Georgia market. But again, the goal here is to scale. We are commercializing uh, about 13 different lettuces and herbs right now, but we believe there's a real opportunity to use our growing system to more materially transform the produce category. So the real goal of Bowery is to create this new gold standard, what we would call this new gold standard in produce, uh, not just in lettuces and leafy greens. And an example of where that's happening on our end is earlier uh, this spring in March, we actually had a limited release of strawberries in the New York market. We're seeing strawberries and fruiting crops as the next big category we want to tackle from a Bowery perspective. And what is really fascinating to me about the strawberries launch. So in this limited release, we actually launched a duo pack. Mm -hmm. We had a wild strawberry and a garden strawberry. And as we were doing our R&D development against the berries, we actually tested about 25 different cultivars in our system. And we thought it was very important to bring forward two different varieties because part of our mission at Bowery is to open the aperture for consumers on how many different varieties and flavors there are, not only in lettuce and herbs, but we're taking this forward in fruiting crops as well. So the two berries that we ended up with, one, the garden berry is actually a very similar cultivar to what you might taste in the U.S. Uh, But when you grow it in our system, it expresses itself very different. Again, this is a very different growing environment we have. Uh, We can control for the nutrients, the airflow, the light intensity to hit a flavor spec that we're looking for. And it's picked at the peak of freshness. Again, part of the value proposition is we can pick the fruit at the peak of freshness because it doesn't have long haul travel on it and get it into retailers and ultimately consumers hands uh, for an incredible tasting experience. So the, the garden variety was probably closer in to what U.S. consumers might experience. But the other varietal we used was not U.S.-based, but we would never be able to grow that berry 
in the U.S. because of the external environment or the growing conditions or the climate externally. And so we were able to bring forward this wild berry that was very different um, in flavor profile from the garden berry. It was almost tropical, uh, jammy, uh, juicy. And what we really heard from consumers is how they love the juxtaposition of the flavors and having new tasting experiences. So that's just a little bit of a flavor of what we're doing on the R&D side and fruiting crops. I was lucky enough to try that duo pack and it was uh, amazing. It was so good. Yeah. Did you have a favorite? No, I like them both. It almost felt like asking which child do you like better? You know, you you just <laughs> Sophie's choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're they're no, I, I loved both. And then gave them to my uh small child and he ate all the I kind of was upset. He just grabbed them and ate them all, like with the leaves on. <laughs> That's how That's good. Getting his greens in at the same time. Yeah, I got that's a good way to sneak in some greens, right? (laughs) But uh, oh, they were they were really good. Like, yeah, and I had someone who was in the city that week, or when I heard about it being available for limited time at select locations in Manhattan, I was like, go to Italy and and go get it in the Chelsea district, or or, um, and um, because I was excited about it. And I like the the tasting notes where it kind of feels like, you know, um, like wine tasting, you know, strawberry. A great example. And that's one that the team used often as inspiration, a wine tasting uh, as they were con- conceiving of this duo pack. But yeah, I'm seeing this um, at your company and in some other companies uh, that strawberries seem like the next frontier. What is it about strawberries? Um, is, is it doesn't need as much space like vertically so you can stack more of them for vertical farming or um... I think, yeah I mean I think the thing that we're really excited about so I think you know what the what the ultimate growth system will be in our farm is is something um, that we are working on right now but I think what we're really excited about in terms of strawberries and how complementary they are as a, as a crop for indoor vertical farming is the attributes that we have in indoor vertical farming, right? So one of the things that we know about strawberries is people get taste. We've just talked about it, right? Like everyone knows what a great tasting strawberry is and what they expect from it. So to be able to produce a great tasting, delicious strawberry 365 days a year, close to the point of consumption can only be done Um, through controlled environment agriculture, right? So from that standpoint, the crop fits the profile very, very well. I also think this is one of those crops that um, when you grow it indoors, it's it's got a cleaner finish, right? There's not pesticide use um, from that standpoint. So it hits a lot of our value proposition in the CEA space, in addition to just kind of the vertical nature that you that you called out and I think lastly we're excited like I said earlier to play with a whole bunch of cultivars right Um, and we are not constrained by our climate that we grow in in terms of what strawberries we can choose to grow or not grow so we basically will have a sandbox of strawberries to play with as we think about scaling and going to market more broadly. I liked how you said you're trying to open uh people's 
um, the aperture. Uh, if anyone who's taken camera uh, photography class or something, and you realize that, you know, most varieties available right now is just this little, little window. And if you just, there's so much more possible out there, but, um, but not really when you're, it's harder when you're growing outdoors to, to do that or not possible. Um, and I think that's fair. And I think just to give you another example of that in the green space. So one of the platforms we have is called farmer selection. One part of our value proposition, right. Is surety of supply. 365 days a year because the way we grow is more insulated from external events or or weather events or supply chain disruptions. But we also think there's this opportunity to bring new flavors and new experiences to market for consumers to try. And this really is the spirit of farmer selection where we bring in a, a different cultivar or varietal with unexpected flavor uh, that consumers may not be familiar with and we bring it in for a limited time. So it's a one part tasting journey, but it's a second part giving them recipes and usage occasions to incorporate more flavor, more greens into their diet and their cooking. We have this fabulous uh, farmer selection uh, that we've now um, cycled through. It's, it's been launched two times and it's mustard frills. And it's got this just fantastic little bit of spice to it. It's a beautiful lettuce. It's got, it's like green and it's got hints of purple in it. And so it's a very different tasting experience than folks might be uh, used to. Right now, we've got chrysanthemum greens uh, in market on the farmer selection Mm. platform. And for those who are not familiar, this is actually green that's used a lot in Asian cooking. And now we are trying to educate a broader consumer base on kind of the joy and the flavor of this particular grain. Mm. Yeah, I tried um, something that uh, a farmer selection green that tasted, I tried the, I love the mustard greens um, frills. I mean, uh, and it does feel very, it does look very festive and feel festive because it's like zing, you know, (laughs) In a mildish way, you know, but zingy and, um, well, maybe not super mild, but, uh, <laughs> uh, the, there was one that tasted like, like a sour apple or something. Yeah. Sorrel. Sorrel. Green sorrel. That one. So yeah. Yeah. That one. You, yeah. Really. You described it exactly right. Like people bite into that and they're like, oh, it's a green apple or it's a lemon. It's like, it's a it's a zest or a zing that hits you yeah yeah like that that tasting experience really stuck in my head and it must have been over a year ago or something but uh yeah it was it was memorable in the best way um so so these are ways that you're expanding you're expanding um like the the news of going is is the different locations where you're opening up commercial more commercial facilities and, and the, the long range goal is to become national to eventually go on the West coast. Um, I would imagine. And then, um, and then within the product offerings, you're expanding to like different, you know, beyond leafy greens and be, and then within each category, you're, you're expanding the varieties or the, the um, just different ways of going about that. Um, 
So I had read that you used to work for Starbucks and, and, um, and it sounds like I can see why, what, why this transition to Bowery work, like making high end eating experience, not always high, but yeah, like just like experiences and, and taking it to the next level of whatever the, the food or the drink is. Right. Can you, you yeah, I think that's, I think that's in one part what we're doing. I think if I were to kind of draw some more parallels between my Starbucks experience and my Bowery experience, I think first and foremost, I'm very mission-based in what motivates me. And Starbucks was a company and a culture that was based on mission, right? Doing good in the world at the same time, you're growing the business and building the brand. I take a step back on the mission at Bowery, right? We really are about transforming the fresh food system and securing the future of food. And you take a step back today at the most pressing issues, either locally or globally, food hits all of them, whether it's dealing with climate change, whether it's surety of supply, whether it's domestic production of food, whether it's food safety, whether it's food access, whether it's health. There are so many important things that are all laddering up to strengthening our fresh food system. And Bowery is going to be a critical uh, solution to that as CEA is broadly. So I think that was one highly motivating and inspiring thing for me as I came to Bowery. I think the second thing that was very, very interesting for me, and this gets to a little bit about what you were saying, Amy, which is food is so emotional right? It's got cultural relevance. It's got social relevance. It's got health components to it. Yet the produce category, broadly speaking, doesn't doesn't really have brands in it, right? There has not been a Nike yet of produce or what Starbucks is to coffee. That has not existed yet. And that is part of the mission we're on at Bowery is to build a generational brand in produce that connects with consumers on a very emotional level. And it's, it's a really exciting opportunity and it's challenging. uh, But it's one that I'm, I'm excited about. And ultimately was one of the, one of the reasons why I came to Bowery. And I think to your point, we will play in a premium space and we'll create social currency And a really big part of what we're doing at Bowery is democratizing access to fresh food. That too. Yeah, it's both. Yeah. Yeah, because we want to scale, like to have the transformational impact we want on the fresh food system, we want to scale and broaden access. And you see that pull through in what we're doing at Bowery kind of in three areas. I think one Straight donations is a key component to what we'll do. Our farms are part of the communities that we operate in, right? Our modern farmers pull from the community. We will give back to the community at the farm level with donation. We are working with very innovative nonprofit partners to continue to drive access to the Bowery product. And one I would call out is a partnership we have with DC Central Kitchen. They are doing phenomenal work on the ground. They have this program called the Healthy Corners Program, where they are actually building fresh food infrastructure and corner stores. So they're meeting the community and those consumers where they are, right, at the corner stores, and really investing on what does it look like to have a fresh food program there. 
we sell our Bowery clamshells. So the same clamshells you get wholesale to DC Central Kitchen, they further reduce the price point of that Bowery clamshell. They, they keep it whole with their philanthropic dollars. But then our Bowery product is showing up in the healthy corners at a price point that works um, for that community. So the highest quality products with the nutritional attributes that we've talked about, the flavor attributes. So that is our goal is to work to, to kind of scale those types of programs as we expand into new markets and new regions. And then the last thing we're doing is if you look at our retail footprint. Yeah. Question. Uh, how d- how do they how do they make the price point lower like how um part of it is they are dc central kitchen is an is a nonprofit right so they're using their philanthropy dollars to oh, fund okay. the wholesale purchasing arm basically the procurement arm of their organization so oh. they play a role in that for sure so i'm like that's part of what scale why scaling is so important because the larger you are the cheaper you can make the, the product That's right. I mean, ultimately, as we scale, and again, we believe it is our system that has the automation, the technology, the farm design, the data will allow us to scale and ultimately get competitive with field-grown price points in the marketplace. And if you look at our channel strategy today, there's real breadth in it, right? We're in over 14, about 13, 1400 stores Within that, yes, we're in the natural and independent channel, we're in conventional, and we're in a mass channel like Walmart. So we are definitely, you know, all about scale and providing access as we're doing some of these more curated things at the top of the brand pyramid, I would say, such as farmer's selection and and the strawberry duo pack. Mm. I I love that I can see both ends of it uh, at, like, say, my stop and shop. And and then um, and then at a uh, the the high end chocolate cafe place that I sometimes work at, and I see it there. And living in or near New York City, you get to try all the the fun high end things as well. So yeah. Um, yeah, do you had three points? And I stopped you before you got to the third one. Yeah, you actually, I, I snuck it in there. It was oh. the breadth of our channel strategy right now. So it really is about hitting kind of natural, conventional and um, mass at a, at a, with a portfolio and a value proposition that works for those consumers. So you, you adjust, like, how do you make different kinds of, you have to have different kinds of contracts with, I mean, they each have their own requirements, right? The different kinds of retailers. Yeah, but we don't, I mean, ultimately the retailer is setting the price on shelf, right? So we have our product assortment at the at the price we sell it at, and then the retailer hits the price point that's right for them on shelf. Oh, okay. I didn't know somehow if, if there's more of a negotiating, uh, but not, it's just set somewhat. Yeah, there's different strategic partnerships uh, that you can develop for sure. Um, but broadly speaking, it's, you know, you've got your national list price, you've got your product portfolio, and then the retailers set it at the price point. So have you seen any different, do you, do you know how Bowery Farming's uh, Greens are doing um, 
for, I don't know if you track it this way, but for digital shopping? Yes. So we do. So e-commerce, and I failed to mention this. So thank you for giving me an entree into this. But e-commerce is actually a platform that we're very, very excited about. And it's both the omni-channel play of e-commerce, right? Even the traditional retailers are getting very sophisticated and leaning into e-commerce. And then you have your e-commerce pure plays like Amazon Fresh and some of the micro-fulfillment centers that are opening up like GoPuff or or Gorillas. Mm -hmm. And what we're finding is our product does very, very well in e-commerce. And I think there was no doubt that um, the pandemic was an accelerant of changing shopping behavior and getting consumers, I think, comfortable that you can buy produce, which typically folks want to kind of pick up and see and understand how fresh it is before they put it in their bag. But it was definitely an accelerant um, in online um, grocery shopping behavior and with the fresh produce category in particular. But I think we get two benefits from e-commerce, um, maybe three. Uh, the first one is the consistency of our product, right? And the shelf life we get, kind of the freshness and the consistency plays very well on e-commerce because there's just less variability or um, less surprises when the product gets to you or delivered to you at home. So I think that's a reason why e-commerce works very, very well with our with our business model and our growing process. I think the second one is it's another great place to tell the story, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we feel like we have wonderful stories to tell about the brand and what we're doing, the taste of the product, the sustainability component to it, the community component. And so e-commerce just gives us another channel to be able to tell uh, the brand story. And then I think the third piece is what we're seeing in, in some of our consumer research, no surprise probably, is that the kind of the earliest adopters of the CEA space, particularly Bowery, we're seeing it in, is a slightly younger demographic Mm. who not only cares about taste and experimenting with new flavor profiles and are probably over-indexing on food and cooking, but sustainability, right, is is something that is very, very important um, to Gen Z and millennials. And not that it doesn't cut across other generations, but they tend to be at the forefront of those things. And so I think for those and that profile over indexes on e-commerce as well in terms of purchasing behavior. So I think those, all of those things um, are reasons why we're performing very, very well on e-commerce too. So Bowery Farming and CEA in general is really in the right position for the next generation of shoppers that's just becoming what Gen Z is around the oldest Gen Zers are around 25 or so, I think. And that's right. I think mid twenties. Yep. So they've been, um, you know, I don't know if they went to college or not, but they're, they're at that age where they're starting to really do it themselves. Um, that's right. And, and for, yeah. form relationships with brands. Right. And as we talk about, that aspiration of the generational brand we want to build at Bowery, they will be at the tip of the spear of that. Uh, and they're also very influential, not only in their peer groups, but with their parent groups. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Telling their mom and dad why they're wrong and why they need to care about this and that. 
and, and how, you know, the digital natives and like, why can't you copy paste or, um, <laughs> I don't, not talking about anyone in particular, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> I've got two at home too. It's okay. I know what you're talking about. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, so they're digital natives and they really are cause, you know, they they buy f- food based on their values, right? They do. And, and, um, and they're the most sophisticated about food um, or at least, well, a lot of people are these days. Um, yeah. And I also think they've grown up in a world where, food and technology and the pairing of that doesn't seem strange, right? I mean, they've grown up in a world with um, protein alternative or with protein alternatives like Impossible, like Beyond Meat. There's so much interesting stuff going on in the ag tech space broadly with fermentation and cellular-based meats. (laughs) I think they're growing up in a world where they want natural but they are also open to the application of technology in service to the greater good with the environment and better food and access. And so I think they've got a different lens on technology as well. So let's try to broaden this to CEA in general. Um, uh, we could do the food safety. And Barry's part of the CEA Food Safety Coalition and one of the founding members we are we are we are uh one of the one of the founding members and just a little bit of background on that so and this predates me i'm about three and a half years at bowery but about four four and a half years ago when the fda issued one of the latest recalls on romaine because Mm. of e coli and food safety issues the FDA's kind of mandate was all romaine off the shelf, right? One of the challenges you have with traditional agriculture is because it works at an aggregate level, you lose transparency in the supply chain, which lettuce came from where to kind of source um, the, the, where the problem was. And the, the trade, this young industry, CEA, had the foresight to come together at the time and be like, hey, time out, FDA, We have complete transparency in our supply chain of where the lettuce was grown to mapping it to where it is on shelf. We should not have to be a part of these sweeping recalls. And the FDA actually ruled in favor of uh, CEA, the CEA Food Safety Coalition. So the inception of the coalition was absolutely about food safety, food safety standards. And we do think it's a place, again, because of the growing system where there are some inherent advantages there. Uh, I do think as we look to kind of the future, food safety will always be a core component of, of the coalition. But we think there's a real opportunity to broaden, you know, the remit of the coalition to start really putting some more definition, both for a retailer perspective and a consumer perspective on what this new category of produce is. How do you find it? What does it mean? Let's formalize kind of reporting on it and standards around it. Ah, um, so there's a real understanding of what it is. And then I think there's a real opportunity to raise the visibility of that with multiple stakeholders, whether that's media, whether that's uh, government officials, whether that's nonprofits. So I could see that as a potential really great next step for the coalition. Like when you look at different uh, produce packages and you see the... you 
ubiquitous uh, USDA certified organic symbol. You know what that symbol looks like and you know to trust it. Um, and or the I'm used to seeing the frog, the fair trade with the frog yeah. thing. I can, you know, visualize yeah. it. Frog in a mountain. Non-GMO is another example of the butterfly. That one, right? that one I don't, I don't have as much. That, that doesn't seem, yeah. As, as prominent. I'm not as sure about that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we can move on. We can move on from non-GMO. No, I mean, I just, is there some, I mean. Yeah. And you'll see it on a lot of the packaging. Um, I guess I don't trust it as much because I see so many, I see it so many places, or maybe I'm thinking of gluten-free. <laughs> but to your point, there is a lot of certification right now. So I think one of the things we're working through as yeah. an industry is we definitely know we want to do category creation, create some standards around food, you know, food safety, sustainability, report on those. And I think to be determined ultimately, if we go through a verify, we'll get third-party verification, but all the way to certification, I think to be determined. Yeah. Yeah. That'll give it some real, um, you need to get, well, besides awareness and people being able to identify it and know what it means, trust, you know, right. It's huge. Yeah. Trust is really important. Um, trust and transparency. Yeah. Yeah. So those are some forward look. I did hear about, I mean, I was working with the Packer when the Romaine recall happened, might've been pretty new. And I remember cover, I covered some of it. And I remember this forming, um, uh, and, and, um, and I think that what there has been, is there anything new happening with, with that goal about, we are, we are deep in that right now of work. a certification yeah. and the labels. And I think that's, that's longer term, but we are, we are having the conversations right now about what could this category creation look like? What are the, what are the standards behind that? And yeah, so that's work that's in flight. And um, so about the, this category in general, are the price points gradually getting a little bit lower and closer to conventionally grown greens at retail? Has I it think since it started. Yeah. I think, again, there's a little bit of variability here in terms of the retailer's strategy on pricing. I think um, our point of view remains that this is, you know, as, and you've seen this with organics, right? That they right. were at a premium for a while. Now that they've mainstreamed, they've gotten closer and closer to parity with traditional. And so I actually think we're at a moment right now in this industry where we do occupy that kind of new gold standard or premium price points. And over time, you will see that get to parity as the industry matures and it scales. Uh, we believe at Bowery, we are on route to do that, uh, uh, to get to parity with traditional. But right now, actually, to talk about the value proposition and the benefit of what we're doing uh, to pull it into this kind of next generation of produce or the new gold standard in produce, I think is a place uh, where it's appropriate for the category to play right now. Again, over time with yeah, scale, yeah. then getting more competitive with field grown. That makes sense. You have to do that first. Um, yep. And this takes, take well, everything's grown so fast, so it's not really taking that long, but um, 
but still it's not going to happen like next week. So <laughs> not yet. Nope. <laughs> I just am amazed at how much it's grown just in the last four or five years. And it's really, I was just going to say just to build on that. Cause I think I mentioned I'm three and a half years at Bowery. When I joined Bowery, we had one commercial farm, one R and D facility, a second commercial farm starting to ramp. I think I was around 75, 80 employees at the time. We're now three commercial farms, two R&D facilities, two more commercial farms on, on in site. Uh, we've had a limited release of strawberries and we're over 600 people. And that's all happens in, in three, three and a half years time in the courses of a pandemic. And <laughs> I think it's so the, to your point, like the speed at which this industry is growing. And I think it's it's not coincidental, again, when you're looking at what's going on in the macro world, right? The first kind of major event was the pandemic that showed that our, our food system was not as, was not as um, invincible as we thought, right? That there was some real vulnerability in it in terms of supply and demand and matching it. And then I think you move on to what's going on with the Ukraine in terms yeah. of the global food system. I was thinking about that too. I was like, even, yeah. even the Russia-Ukraine war, I mean, with fertilizer. Having an impact. And yeah. And then you top that with climate change, right? Where you've got this new, new turn of phrase called heatflation, where climate events are causing inflation in food because of the volatility, right? Like, because peppers aren't growing right now. Sriracha is scarce, yeah. you know, mustard is scarce. very alarming. Like pick, pick your, pick your food. And there's a real, so all of these things are converging, which is making the case that we have to think differently about transforming our food system and our fresh food system. And again, when I look at what we're doing at Bowery and what controlled environment agriculture is doing, it is addressing those issues head on and will absolutely play a role in fortifying our domestic um, food food supply. And retailers are seeing that now. Consumers, you know, I think are understanding that in a different way they did even two years ago. So it is a perfect storm for the continuation or the acceleration of the growth of this category. Uh, I'm just coming up with random questions about um, what about LED lighting is the cost of that getting lower incrementally. Um, has, so, yeah, you spend yeah. less. There's less land and less water, but what about electricity? You know, being a lot. It's a great question. So if I if I look at LEDs quite specifically, our Bethlehem farm um, that we got about 15% efficiency with the LED lights uh, in that farm. But if I were to take a step back. I think there's a couple different ways that I would look at energy consumption. And I think the first one is uh, we're just deeply committed to diversifying how we're sourcing energy for our farms. So all of our farms um, are powered by low packed um, renewable energy, low impact hydro. And that's just something that, that we're committed to at Bowery. I think the second thing is you will just get efficiencies the more this industry matures, right? The LED lights are an example of that. We were actually HVAC, um, the HVAC system, both at our Baltimore, Nottingham farm and Bethlehem is much more efficient uh, than what the uh, farm one. So that's a reduction. 
and energy consumption. And I think the other thing we're learning, and I don't know if you saw the report, I think I was reading about this in the Guardian, food miles is actually, food, food, food miles is actually a bigger contributor to green, greenhouse gas emissions than originally thought. And within that, fruits and vegetables are the leading contributors. And it's kind of, there's two driving reasons behind that. One is particularly in, uh, in the United States, we, we expect our fruit 365 days a year. We don't accept the premise of seasonality anymore, right? People want their strawberries um, year round. So about 50% of fruit is actually imported in the US. And I think about a third of vegetables are. So the food miles are getting longer and longer. And then um, you look at produce and it needs to be refrigerated. So there's a real greenhouse gas emissions component um, to the current fresh food system. And again, we're reducing that by growing closer to the point of consumption. So I think it's, it's very fair to call out the energy consumption piece, but it's also important to look at the offsets of that in the system we have. And I think the last piece is we're taking non-arable land and turning it into vibrant farmland, right? So one of the things we're able to do with that is protect um, other grow areas that continue to can, can continue to be carbon sinks um, for the environment as well. So it's a little bit more of a complex answer, I think, on the question of greenhouse gas emissions and energy consumption. Well, everything is all connected and doesn't work in a vacuum, right? So that's right. Uh, any final thoughts about maybe just this this section of the of the industry um, forward looking or 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 you know closing thoughts? I think I would be summarizing or I will just summarize I think some of what we hit on, which is I, we are incredibly excited about the future of the industry and the challenges that we're solving as it relates to the fresh food system. and I think, if I were to project, you know, three to five years, you are going to see Bowery with a national footprint across the U.S. with um, eyes towards going global as well. Again, I think the, the benefit to what we're doing is in our farm design, they can, that farm can be built anywhere in the world. The same farm that's running in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania with zero modification can be up and running in Shanghai, plug into the Bowery operating system and leverage all the learnings from the farm before. So scale um, is something that we're very, very focused on. And I think you'll be seeing a variety of um, crops um, from Bowery. We've talked about the fruiting crops. I think you'll see that broadly in the marketplace. So I think where we've historically seen CEA focused on greens and herbs, you will see more and more of a presence um, across the produce aisle. It's exciting to, to have entered this industry uh when this was newish and watch and watch firsthand almost it it grow like this it's amazing um it is exciting anyway well thank you so much for spending this time with us and and i hope it uh inspires and and helps and other people i know it did me thank you so much appreciate amy thank you Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. It's exciting to watch this section of the produce industry grow so much and see what's happening next because it's all happening so fast. Well, I hope you enjoyed and learned from this conversation like I did. Don't miss our earlier episodes either. 
In our last one, we learned all about the origin, flavor, taste, recipe uses, and health benefits of Hatch chilies, and how Bristol Farms turned shoppers into Hatch heads with great chili roasting events and marketing efforts. And they have a lot of good puns. A lot of retailers do. Anyway, if you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button and rate us on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. It can really help. And if you work in the fresh produce industry, find us on our websites, producemarketguide.com and thepacker.com. We're also active on several social media platforms like Instagram and LinkedIn. You can find more ways to follow us in our show notes, plus some helpful links to learn more about our episode guests. And we'll have more of these great healthy lifestyle and produce business conversations coming soon. Thank you so much. I hope you learned something useful and inspirational. Talk to you next time.